Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, when I need a laugh, there's a help in people. But don't pass talking to these funny people. He's asking what they find in the town of the stories. Can somebody yell another name of the show, please? It's my mate. Welcome back. This is My Mate Bought a Toaster, and uh, today's episode-wise, it's a first on My Mate Bought a Toaster because uh, we are not doing this remotely. Uh, we are doing this in person, and we are doing this at my guest's house. Uh, writer, broadcaster, author, journalist, and owner of a very nice L-shaped sofa, Satnam Sangera. Hello, and it's hard for me to say welcome to My Mate Bought a Toaster because I'm in your house. Do you know what I mean? I shouldn't welcome you. Here. No, no, welcome, Tom. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't realise that recording remotely was an option, actually. Okay, mate, I'll, I'm, I'll, head, I'll head back. <laughs> I'm only 15 minutes down the road. I, I could have done that, <laughs> but no, I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad I of think. it. Remote's a horrible way to record. This is fantastic yeah. to be in your house, and um, it means that this invasion of your privacy is uh, online but also physical because, you know, I can just... <laughs> No, there's no cameras, so we can say anything. <laughs> okay, fine, exactly. We could be anywhere. Um, so listen, I'm sitting here um, in your beautiful house and I have got your um, Amazon account right in front of me. And do you know what? Straight away, this is good. Blimey. I think we might have a record. Another first on my mate bought a toaster. I think your order history goes back the furthest of anyone we've ever had on the show. Wow. I'm a, I was an early adopter, yeah. Yeah. So... It's uh, embarrassing, isn't it? That, yeah, exactly. The shame, please. Feel the shame. <laughs> um, so the previous record was held... And that record is now smashed by Matt Green. Uh, he went back, he started in 1999 when he was at uni. Uh, he bought a Martin Amis book uh, in the last century. Wow. So we're going back, well, <laughs> hang on, I've said this, that you go back to 1995. Seriously? 95, that was my first year at university. Was I using Amazon? Well, you didn't place any orders, but you seem to have set up an account. Yeah. So maybe you were just using it to sort of browse and, I don't know, review. Very booky at that stage as well, important to remember. Yes. The whole thing's quite booky, I imagine. Well, yeah, we'll get into that. 96, again, nothing. So, so again, 97, nothing. I think you just did it, All right, knowing yes. you'd set a record on a future podcast. <laughs> I think that's uh, what was going on. Uh, so you were at uni, you were in Cambridge at this point? I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess I probably didn't have any money. So I might just have been looking at stuff. <laughs> um, oh, look, here we go. Oh, my God. Is it so? Oh, it's going to be like Martin Amos again, isn't it? It's so much better. It begins with an M. And it's, it's certainly someone who's iconic. Sanam Sagera, the 8th of December 1999 was your first Amazon purchase. And what I love about this is that you've had a four-year run-up. Is it, it's going to be Michael Jackson, George Michael. It's M, it's M, but it's not. Oh. Madonna. Oh, seriously? <laughs> Madonna, what? By her. Something to remember. You know what? I am not ashamed of that. It's she went album. through a good time in the 90s, didn't she? She was amazing. In that sort of post, because she was incredibly... It was all sex, wasn't it? Literally, that the book Sex <laughs> was. I remember seeing that in the Sunday Times magazine. Yeah. My father brought that home one day in the early nineties, and I was like, "Holy 
what is this? And we were very much not having sex. No, exactly right. In the 90s. That's right. That's what the 90s was for. Um, (laughs) And then towards the end of the 90s, she's done this, something to remember. This is an import. Maybe that's what what drew you in. Gosh. I remember loving Frozen. I don't know if that's on that album. I don't know if it is. Let's have a look, see if I can find the listing of the album. It could have been worse, though, honestly. It could have been Glenn Medeiros, (laughs) Tiffany, a few years earlier. No, it's not... um... There's no, there's no frozen on there. Crazy for you. That's a great song. Is it a best this song? Used to be my playground. Oh, that was a great track, wasn't it? Used to be my playground. That was a brilliant song. She was great, but the problem with Madonna is, um, I, I mean this in the nicest possible way, but she is quite eccentric now on Instagram. Do you, do you follow her on Instagram? I don't. And in musically, I think she's gone awry. Maybe. Well, maybe I'd say she's not for us anymore. Actually, you might think of awry as, as not. I think she's still quite popular, but she's mm. she's making music for the the younger generation. I think she's like doing mixes with with people and stuff. Oh, she, like that. Is that because she can't sing anymore? But could she ever? I mean, she was never a great singer, was she? She's passable, quite a good songwriter. If she wrote any of those songs, no, oh, I don't know. About um, that. But yeah, you know, I love that. The eve of the new millennium, and you've bought Madonna something <laughs> to remember. What in 1999? Yeah, December 1999. Gosh. How did you celebrate the millennium? How did you go? Oh, so it's 99. So I'm now out of university. Okay. It's my first job. I'm at, I'm at the FT. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Right. Financial Times, guys, just in case yeah. my listeners aren't very... <laughs> um, what, what did you do? What was your first job at the FT? I was a news reporter. Okay. Yes. And I, my girlfriend at the time was also a news reporter, but at the times so we met at journalism college. Okay. And she was really into 80s music. So I might have bought it for her. It's going to be a Christmas present. It could have been. I think you've talked your way into an excuse, but I don't think there is shame <laughs> in, in having something to remember by Madonna, but that excuse is available if you want it. Um, this is probably a Christmas present. But what's interesting about this is that, so literally the only thing you bought on Amazon in the last mm. century was this one item. Wow. But what's oh. interesting about this is that um, this is presumably, if it's for Christmas, 8th of December, one would have to assume there's a Christmas vibe happening here. I don't know about you, but my Christmas shopping now is all, almost all done on Amazon. Yeah. But back then, just one thing. Yeah. yeah, I'm 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 totally addicted to Amazon. I feel ashamed of it, but I've got Alexas everywhere. I sh- I shouldn't say that out yeah, loud. Trigger them. There um, we go. Yeah, one's lit up under the telly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I might have at some point written something very negative about Amazon, mm. but it was I was completely wrong. Isn't that, that is an interesting thing, isn't it, about your job as a journalist? And you know, if you're there doing the FT in '99, by my maths, that makes over 20 years of being a journalist. It's 25, yeah. 25 years. Um, uh, do, do you have to sort of, when you're about to state an opinion on something, do you worry that you're going to have contradicted yourself a thousand times in the last 25 years? The main worry at our age, my age now, is just not being able to remember what you, if you've ever written it before. Yes. Quite a few times you have an idea and you have to go into Factiva, which is like a journalism Google to check you've not written it before. Because you does can't it happen that you go in and you're Sometimes like... Sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, I've literally, I literally wrote this two <laughs> years ago. That's the main problem. Right. It's okay to... You inevitably come back to the same topics. Yes. Yeah, And you're allowed to change your mind. Yes. I think that shows you've got a soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. And do you worry now in this age of when you do columns in the Times and stuff like that, do you worry about the reaction that they get? Do you, do you worry that people might think you're being clickbaity or do you worry that you're going to get a whole heap of response or do you just go all journalisty and cold and say, like, that is me and that I don't care about you lot? You know, I, I've actually quit my column a few months ago. Oh, wow. Okay. And I realised that doing it, I'd basically carried on having the same life I had as a student. Yes. For 20 years. So it's that yes. weekly deadline. 
the anxiety. Um, but no, I think I, hopefully I've stayed true to myself. I always think I could triple my salary overnight if I went right wing. Because mm. like brown right wing people oh. are really popular right now. Especially if you put randomly put a dog collar on. Not that I'm singling <laughs> anyone out at all, of course. Okay, fine. All right, Sandam. Look, we're into 2000 now. Okay. And. Um, oh, Christ. There's a whole heap of stuff. There's a whole heap of stuff. It's really interesting. One of my favourite books, The Blind Assassin by Margaret Atwood. Oh, great. I, bought, I had great taste in, in 2000. You did. You bought The Very Best of Elton John. What? <laughs> you bought, you I bought, already had that. You bought some, well, you can never have too many copies of The Very Best of I had that in like, as a kid. Well, anyway. You know, so this is the thing about Amazon. You start, well, hang on. 20th of December, so maybe we're Christmasy. This is Christmas presents. We're Christmasy. I would have bought that for my sister. Stevie Wonder, Songs in the Key of Life. Oh, come on. Oh, my God. One of the greatest albums ever. It's unbelievable. I, I stand by that. Actually, I stand by Elton as well. I, uh, yeah, and he is still standing by you. Um, I went to see Elton <laughs> last summer uh, and he was absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Then he stands up to walk across the stage and you're like, oh. Oh, yeah. He's, ooh, he's got the sort of hip thing, which I'm sure we're all going to get, but he does a bit of a hip thing and then he sits back down again and plays the piano. And he's incredible. He's a trooper, man. Uh, he really is. Um, yeah, his voice has changed, but he's, I, admire, I admire him in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Like... I was talking about him on the episode the other day about him and David Furnish having kids together and the firestorm that that created. Even now, saying Tom Daly having a a kid is still causes a fuss in certain parts Mm. of the media. So for him to do that in the 90s. And the amount of money he's raised. I mean, I think we're talking hundreds of millions, right? Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, The Best of New Order. Wow, a lot of best ofs. That must be Christmas. This is quite partridge having all the best ofs. <laughs> no, uh, I'd have to say the <laughs> best of New Order. Um, no, it's not Christmas Soz. You can't have that excuse, I'm afraid. Uh, 3rd of February, 2000 here. Oh, I've got a good excuse, actually. Go on. I was, by that point, the music industry correspondent for the FT. Oh. So I might have been interviewing the manager or something. Okay. Yeah. D- does sort of uh, being a musical expert at the Financial Times, is that is quite lots of best ofs, isn't it? That is quite sort <laughs> well, of... exactly. You, know. you, are the, you are representing the man. <laughs> quite You're literally. interviewing the man. I, mean, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. interviewing Simon Cowell before he was... Fa- he was like a proper music industry executive. A, mo- a proper mogul. Yeah, yeah all these people who have then gone on to be huge. Mm. Lucian Grange, who's made hundreds of millions of pounds. You know, but when I knew him, he was just a labour boss. And now he's the biggest guy in the music industry. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, how it was, was really interesting. How was Simon Cowell to interview? How long did you get with him? So pre-fame, he must have been quite chilled. And he was, I thought he was chill. He would occasionally ring me. And I remember having his number on my phone and feeling quite weird when he became famous. Thinking, yeah. should I call him? <laughs> um, I never did. The thing I found hardest about the music and the writing about it was at some point you would always end up in a car with the executive and they would play you their latest record, like Robbie Williams. Oh, the pressure. And I never knew where to look. I never never knew what to do, didn't know whether to tap my toes, never knew what to say afterwards. But I remember listening to Feel by Robbie Williams. Yeah, yeah. And the exec, I think it was Lucian saying, that's going to be a mega hit. Uh, uh, And and me thinking, nah, it's crap. (laughs) Oh. Oh, oh, my days are so embarrassing. I don't remember buying all these silly little strange things. I swear on my life, I was forced by my wife with an ABBA pen knife that I bought on ABBA. Wait, wait a minute. I'm, I'm my ability to spot. If I get a book in advance or I hear a song in advance, I'd never get it right. But also they just, they, they do what they do in book, book publishing. They publish a lot. Yeah. And just hope one takes off. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. one executive going on and on at me about 
Daniel Beddingfield. Oh, uh, yeah. Around I mean, this time. Again, on Magic FM, we play him always He's, at the end of the hour. That one song? That, if you're not the one, why does my heart... <laughs> we will always play that towards the end of the hour. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. Gotta Get Through This. Oh, yeah. That? Gotta Get Through This. That was a tune. I gotta get... Yeah, there was good... He was... He had quite a lot of kudos at one stage. He was like Ed Sheeran. He was like... Yes. Songwriting genius. And the guy in the music industry thought he was going to be the biggest thing since Madonna. Yes. Yes. And he's, he's not, is he? This is the equivalent of the Monty Python sketch. Back in my day, we didn't have Ed Sheeran. We had Daniel <laughs> Beddingfield. That's who we had. And his sister, Natasha. And Natasha, who did... Um, one Great Song. One Great Song. That's right. Unwritten. That was a tune. That was a good tune. I'm going to listen to all of these. I'm enjoying this. This is good. As soon um, as we, we should, leave. We should put a playlist together. Um, yeah, it'll just sound like Magic FM. Yeah, to be fair, I was going to say, don't bother <laughs> me. 105.4, see you there. All right, look, let's skip on to 2001 now. Uh, you have got uh, Alicia Keys, Gabrielle, and look Gabrielle. at this. Gabrielle. Am I just ordering music? I think you're setting up Magic FM. <laughs> You've got the ultimate Bill Withers collection, and then you've got what? you've got Ronan by Ronan Keaton. You've got oh Ronan! Oh my God, that, he's always a magic. Uh, my best friend Lachlan is always taking the piss out of me for uh, <laughs> loving life as a roller coaster. It's a great song. Yeah, well, he Lachlan often sings it to me. Um, I stand by it, and it was written by you know New Radicals. Yes. What's his name? Um, Can we do his name? Greg something. That'll do. Shall I shall I look it up so we actually sign? Um, great. Uh, he wrote. Greg Alexander. Greg Alexander. Well, you got Greg and I got Alexander, but I cheated, so you get the points there. But all his songs, he rewrites the same song again and again and again. Yeah. And Roland did, I think, two of his songs, if memory serves. Um, Anyway, I'll stand by that song. Um... He's a great guy, Ronnie Keaton. He's your colleague now. Yeah, I know him pretty much. Whenever he's away from breakfast, I do his show. Right. So so I'm always confused. I I genuinely search for his tour dates because I know that means I'm going to be in on breakfast. (laughs) But I search the tour dates. (laughs) To go to the concert. Um, I, I, I haven't gone that far. I'm going to get your signed uh, Keaton t-shirt. Uh, Womack and Womack. Honestly. Oh, come hey, on. What's this? I know why I bought that. Because oh. I bought that originally in, in on cassette. Right. And I want, I hadn't listened to it for years, so I bought the CD. Yes, you did. Yes. You're digitising your world. Yeah, and Keep then I got rid of all the CDs. Yeah, it's I circle know. circle of life. That is a sad day, getting rid of the CDs. I, I, that really, mm. because no one wanted to buy them. Musical Magpie is bollocks, it doesn't work. I got my nieces to do Music Magpie. D- I gave them 50%. It was like 10 quid. <laughs> you, get, you literally get nothing. Yeah. Next, nothing. Um, 12th of March 2001, Stick It Up Your Punter, The Uncut Story of the Sun newspaper by Peter Chippendale, which is a very appropriate name. That's actually a really good book. Um, by this stage, I am the me- media writer. Where are we now, please? I'm still at the FT, but I'm, I'm doing features. But all about the media industry. So that's a book about the Sun newspaper. Right. And did you think at that stage, do I need to be careful here? Because obviously you now work for the Times, you know, the same family and all that stuff. Does does that, is that actually a thing where if you're going for a job at the Times, someone's going to see you being critical of the Sun and you won't get a job at the Times? Or is that a myth that's been created about the Murdoch empire? I think it might happen in informal ways. Mm. Um, Like I don't think James O'Brien is ever going to get a job with News Corp. <laughs> yes. But it doesn't happen in any other ways. I mean, my colleague at the time was James Harding, mm. who then went to the Times. Yeah. And then I think he hired me. Yeah, he hired me. But then he went to the BBC. Yeah. Basically, people move around all the time, don't they? Yeah. And then occasionally they take you with them. And do you ever do you ever feel the pressure of being part of the Murdoch Empire? How often on Twitter do you get that sort of... I get it all the time. Um, I don't feel pressure. You know what? I get to write whatever I want. 
I've never, ever been censored. Interesting. Not once. Yeah. Um, if that happens, I would leave. And you've written whatever you want about Brexit or yeah. anything racism. Racism, of course. Empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm, but problem is people on Twitter haven't read it because it's behind a paywall. So yes. Also, people on Twitter are mad. Well, I would suggest that there are five mad people on Twitter <laughs> who do all the tweeting and the rest of us just sit there watching the insanity yeah. unfold. It's it's a crazy place. I mean, yeah, Twitter is it's it, it, a recurring theme, uh, both on this show and in my life. And it's, mm. um, yeah, I'm going to get rid of it, but it's really good. That's yeah, I think sometimes it's good. To, I occasionally just take a few months off. I'm on the brink of one of those breaks. Yeah, and the problem with them is how you announce them to your your tweeters, your your followers, you know? Because you don't want to do a flounce. And you don't... The one thing you can do, which I've noticed people doing, is they change their Twitter name to, you know, sometimes I get it, is away from Twitter for three <laughs> months or whatever. You know what I mean? That's quite a nice oh, way of doing yeah. it. I have no problem with saying I'm going to come off. Mm. I do that to make myself come off. Because then, do then you, it's embarrassing. Yes, but then do you check you all back? the, oh, mate, we'll miss you replies. That's what I did. Well, I went off for two for a month last summer, and within an hour I was checking to see how many people had said, oh, mate, see you soon. All right, I might check it for a bit, but no, to be honest, I find the more you tweet, the more you want to tweet. But also, the less you tweet, mm. the less you tweet. Yeah. It's like, once I'm off, I am off. Yeah, okay. And then you wonder why you even bothered in the first place. You write books, you have good self-control. No, I, yeah. I think writers are the worst because we're very lonely. Yeah. Um, That's why you pulled me into your house, isn't it? <laughs> That's why. I don't yeah. even need to do the podcast, Tom. Just come over, please. Um Look, this is a great film. Um, this is A Beautiful Mind. Ron Howard directed. I don't know Ron Howard directed A Beautiful Mind. Um, a wonderful movie. Bought this in November 2002. Oh, I guess at that point I'm thinking about writing my memoir. And, uh, yeah, I should say my dad and my sister have schizophrenia. And right. I probably wanted to watch it because it's one of the few films about schizophrenia because I was referring to it. Mm-hmm. So this is The Boy with the Top Knot? Yes. I love that movie. When did you... When did that come out? A long time ago. We're old, man. Um, but yeah, I think 2007 or something. Oh, jeez. So this is way before that. Maybe I'm just thinking about writing it. You write, okay. Right, it right. takes a long time to write books. Especially a memoir. That's yeah, hard. it took five it? years. Was it upsetting to dig into stuff? Or was yeah, it? it was really upsetting, but really amazing as well. Changed my life. How, how do you mean? in terms of So externally in terms of career or internally because of what it did to you? It compacted a load of things and put them in a place. Every possible way. And also it sorted out my relationship with my family. You know, I began it with them kind of nagging me to get married to a sequel. Mm. And he ended with them saying, marry whoever you want. So mm. that worked. Yes. And it worked in many other ways as well. Yeah. It was an incredible thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about it today because it's World Mental Health Day. And so yes, people have been um, posting about it. And mm. it's, I'm glad I did it. I could never do it now. No. Because I think you become, if you're in the media, you know everything can go that can go wrong. If you write a memoir. So at that point you were... Naive. Naive, good, yes, right. So just like, <laughs> this is going to be, this is my honest account, here yeah. it is. So if you had known all the different sort of... There's no way I would have revealed all of that, everything I revealed. Mm. No way. Mm. It was stupid. It could have gone so wrong. And how was that with, with the revelations? Who in your family read it and what did they say? And like, how was that sort of... Well, I made a choice at some point of it to not publish anything that wasn't there with their, without their approval, basically. So I um, gave them the right to edit it, basically. Mm. And most of them didn't edit anything. Okay. My sister asked me to edit or take out a whole chapter, which killed me at the time. But now I'm so glad because okay. it means um, I didn't overshare and we've got some privacy. 
Yes. In our family. Yes. So yes, yeah, yes. I'm glad. It's a wonderful thing to pull off a great memoir. It's you know, it's a it's a nice that and it's that thing as well. That's with you forever now. That's done. That's that's your bit. That's your writing <laughs> on the cave. Done. You know. Possibly you can, you too can die now, basically. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I don't want to die yet. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't mind doing a follow-up one day. I'll see. You need a bit more life first, obviously. Need to live a yeah, bit. because 2007 was only two years ago. So. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, look, let's move on now. Uh, we're going to 2004, Satnam. By the way, absolutely nothing to be embarrassed on about here. Um, you've got some uh, Jonathan Coe, what a writer. Oh yes. oh yes oh yes I was such a big fan of his interviewed him oh yeah embarrassed myself I'm such like he was like my favourite writer got yes. to know him now and in his new book yes there's a character called Satnam with what? my misspelt name in the middle what Isn't are you amazing? kidding yeah listen forget <laughs> the boy with the top knot that's the immortalisation right there that is you forget yeah. your memoir that's amazing it's a very minor character you're Nothing. He, there's no character development. <laughs> Jonathan, um, if you're listening. <laughs> but I'm there. I'm there. That'd be great feedback. So, yeah, that was amazing. Amazing. Um, yeah, I think, again, we talked about Jonathan on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, but you have just got, you've got the closed circle, the Rotters Club. Oh, yeah, I read everything by him in one go. He's like, he's uh, meaty. Like, people say, like... The canon is people like Ian McEwan or, or maybe Martin Amis or Sebastian Fox and stuff like that. But I always feel like Jonathan Coe gets missed out of those lists. Yeah. You know, with men, big He was male once uh, shortlisted for the Booker, I think, okay. recently. Uh, but, you know, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. In general, I don't think comic novelists get the credibility they deserve. Interesting. Because if you're being, being funny, you're not taken seriously. But I actually think mm-hmm. the best... Art is funny. Thank you. Spot on. Very good. Very good indeed. And the best podcasts. Are the best podcasts are often accidentally <laughs> funny. Um, uh, look, we got uh, Keen Hopes and Fears. Oh. Keen. Yeah, what an album. The band. What an album. Yeah. Oh, that's. I, I actually want to disown them. 
Why? Because I'm not so keen. I'm not keen on. You're not that. so keen on keen now. No, I don't know why I bought that. I walked alone, an empty. <laughs> he had this thing where he sort of sang. You listened to the album in 2003, and thought, "Oh, this really reminds me of a great time." Even though the album was day old, like he had this thing yeah. of inventing nostalgia out of nowhere. I find that Ed Sheeran does that. Oh yeah. Uh, the younger the artists are, the more nostalgic they are. Yeah. All these songs are like, oh, I remember when we were young. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandmother died. And it's like, dude, mm. your grandmother's alive. <laughs> your grandmother's in her 40s. And you're young. <laughs> you know, I'd probably fancy your grandmother. <laughs> She's a gilf. <laughs> uh, Ed, if you're listening, get in touch. I don't know. I can't believe I bought the Keen album. Anyway, you're yeah, obviously I'm surprised that, but... that you've got shame for No, I, in general, I think people who are embarrassed about pop music are the worst because music is too important to be fashionable about. Exactly. That was my first, genuinely, my interview at Magic with the former boss, Tony Mori. Uh, he said, we don't do guilty pleasures, we just do pleasures. And I was like, yeah. I have found my musical home. Um, you know what? I'm going to listen to Keen after this. Yeah. And force myself to love it again. Um, he's just done a new album, uh, Tom Chaplin. Chaplin yeah. 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 He's also an extremely good golfer, but that's for my other podcast, Golf is Really My Life. I'll talk about it on there. Um, look, uh, you great bands. Oh, you have got good tastes. You have got good tastes. I can hear, I can hear the viewers, the listeners you've bought, saying I haven't. No, you bloody <laughs> have. You bloody have because you've got Bell and Sebastian. Oh, yeah. I went through a massive Bell and Sebastian phase, bought all their albums. In one go? Yeah, yeah, that's yes. what you did. You bought on uh, October 2005, Tiger Milk, Burn Sebastian. Yeah. The Boy with the Arab Strap, um, Burn Sebastian. And also, uh, you got If You're Feeling Sinister, which has got that uh, Help Me Get Me Away, I'm Dying song, oh, which yeah. I often, when the kids are annoying me, I just start singing it to myself. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, again, Burn Sebastian, though, do you still like their stuff? How do you feel about their stuff? No, now? you know, it's weird because I would say I am definitely nowadays listening to more hip hop and soul music. Mm. And you're reminding me that actually I had a whole indie phase. Indie pop. Yeah. Yeah. And and sort of uh, white fae indie yeah. pop as well with Keen. Sort of. Yeah, really got, white music. Yeah. But now I'm almost entirely hip hop and soul Just music. Thinking, what, what, is there a deeper meaning? There's a deeper current, I, a deeper actually, continental shift there? I actually didn't like hip hop around that time because all that gangster stuff, mm. I couldn't relate to it as mm. a kid from Wolverhampton. Right. Yeah. As rough as it was. Yeah, yeah. But now I think hip hop's become really much more sensitive, sophisticated. It's about the human condition. Yeah, and yeah. I can access it, but I couldn't when it's just Tupac. I think I, I completely agree with you. I've never, I've just never been into it because this. I just was listening to white golfers in the instance of King. <laughs> um, but but Romesh Ranganathan has done a lot to change how certainly I feel about hip hop and I think about it. Yeah, I listen to his podcast. He's exactly, great. he's really changed a lot of that stuff. Um, uh, a quick check in, please, with Satnam's life at this point. So, two thousand and five. What's happening with you? Where are you now? Probably writing my memoir. Okay, I've left the FT. Okay, and living in Brixton, South London. Oh, nice. Okay. Now I'm in North London. You are. Yeah. You. Yeah. Yeah. You are. You're part of the the media elite. Now you're probably the you're probably <laughs> an enemy of growth. I reckon. Um, you know what? There's a bit of a media elite in Brixton as well. Yes. Yeah. It probably is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're everywhere, mm. those medias. Um, also, everyone's on social media, guys. There's a social media really everywhere. Come on. Um, all right, look, 2006, uh, what have we got here? Fat or Finn by James Dellingpole. Oh, my God. What is this? Hornby that, meets this love. James Dellingpole, we can't just leave that. You know, he's become a massive right wing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Culture warrior. Yes. He's an he's a anti-vaxxer, isn't he? He's gone... I've got to be careful, yeah. obviously. Navigate your way through this, please. He's become quite extreme politically. But... James Dellingpole, you've got, I'm glad I put I read that. his memoir and it was quite good. I remember 
writing that a sentence in the paper and Hugo Rifkind, my colleague, yes, I think rang me like they did in the, those <laughs> days and he's like, what are you on about? Um, I was like, actually, if you read the book, it's quite funny. Yeah. It's quite well written. So you gave it a good review and then... Uh... No, I didn't review. I, I mentioned it in passing. But right. then he, James has gone in another direction. He's not the coast guy. Who's the coast guy? No, that's Neil Oliver, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but similar. Yeah, I'm just, they all sort of merge into one in my head. Level of uh, GB news. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, we're into 2007 now. Plenty of items bought in 2007. So 36 items bought. It's not many. Oh, God. Oh, we've gone from one in 1999. Um, again, a lot of books. David Sedaris, arguably the great, a great comedy uh, yeah, memoirist, memoirist. I think I went through a massive phase with him and read everything by him. Yeah, and then slightly went off him a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like he, when I found, I read an interview with him where he said, "Things don't need to be true; they just need to be funny." He said something like that, and I was like, "Oh, if it's not true, I don't find you as funny." That's a shame because then that means everything you've read by him, you're like, "Oh, yeah, I thought that." Oh, if you just, you just, so those didn't, those all those stories didn't end with. A hilarious callback. That's just you making that up. Yeah, and I found I I, I lost that sense of yeah of attachment to it. It hollows it out. I've yeah. also said this about stand up. If I know a stand up isn't telling the absolute truth, I'd rather mm. a truthful, less funny ending. And that's with stand up. But he said, I remember he said the the interviewer challenged him, and he said, "Look, that's like saying if someone's told a great anecdote at a dinner party, and mm. you say, well, it's not true, you're wrecking the vibe. All that yeah. matters." All that matters is that everyone laughed. Oh, my God. My brother is an anecdote <laughs> denier. And he does it to me every single time. He is the biggest prick. He sits there and I'll be in the middle of a story. And it has affected my stand-up. I can hear his voice in my head when I'm doing stand-up. Oh, really? Did you? Really? Did that really happen? And it's so, like a big family dinner. And I'll tell a story and he'll be there. Mm. And, but it gets you yeah. prepared for critics. So I don't want to be that guy, but equally no. I found I'll, he lost me a bit. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's, he's doing really well without us. He's fine. He's Both my brother and David Sedaris are all doing great. Here's someone who's doing interestingly, someone else um, who's certainly uh, flirted with uh, a right-wing vibe, Toby Young, How to Lose Friends and Alienate oh, right. People. Yeah, I think that's, I, I, I picked it up as a memoir. Yeah, fine, fine, To fine. read, to kind of. It was massive, that book. It was huge. Yeah, and dare I say it, he was quite nice. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to, he's probably a nice person still, but. You know, we, I remember we followed each other on Twitter yes. for a while. Yes. Um, but he's been seduced by quite extreme politics again. Yes. James. Yes, I suppose so. It's a shame, isn't it, when they're nice. But there's, um, there's so many stories about people who are, uh, you may politically may not agree with them, and then, but they're incredibly charming. The one I always think of is Michael Gove. Apparently. Yeah, yeah, I like, um, oh I gosh. met Michael as a former colleague. Very charming man. Yes, of course. I don't have a difficulty in being friends with people who have different politics to me. No, that's the thing, isn't it? That's At all, I don't have a problem with that. It's just that when they become So what's the crossover extreme. line? So, so what's... So, so Yeah, okay. When they're going down the fake news... Right. ...thing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And it's fake news with an obvious purpose to incite hatred of us. Incite Twitter pylons and things like that. I think we're talking generally a lot. I mean, yes. We were in the business. We know what happens. I think quite cynically these people think... This is how I make money. I don't think they're even being true to themselves. No, but no. it's quite lucrative for them. Yes. It's literally that. It yeah. li- you know, those clicks are money. And that's a problem with journalism and across social media. That's what people will do. That's their, that's their MO. And yet, 
I'm always clicking on it. I'll see it and I'll be like, what's that prick said now? And I'll click through and read it to get myself angry. Oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've got myself out of that. You've got to stop that, Tom. You've got to get out of that. Yeah, it's I don't do that. You have to think about it. Like, when you're clicking on it, I'm literally putting 10p or 5p in that person's pocket. So just resist that urge. Mute them. I mute yeah. their mentions. Sometimes I've preemptively blocked people. Yeah, oh, good, good. I've mean, not even talked to them. It just means I'm never going to see Nigel Farage's tweets. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've done that. I'm and, and I'm happy as a, yeah, yeah. as a result. And now it's fine. Because also, for the main reason that I know what he's going to say about anything. Yeah. That's exactly. why I've done it. Not because I want to deny his politics particularly. I understand there's a voice there. You know, I disagree with pretty much everything he says, but I know exactly what he's going to say about yeah. anything. So people are way too sensitive about blocking him. It's like, I block people who I haven't even talked to. It's mm. fine. I just... It doesn't mean anything. It's just the internet, for yeah, God's yeah, yeah. sake. It's not really it's, I'm not nice. stopping your freedom of speech. You can carry on exactly. chilling out your nonsense. John Cleese. I just don't want to hear it. Exactly. Totally that. I love how this has become Twitter therapy. Uh, look, we're back in the time before Twitter. 2007. Men who can't love. How to recognise a commitment-phobic man before he breaks your heart. Oh, Christ. Self-helpy, self-helpy. Yeah, I think that I refer to that book in an article. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, again, you've, your career gives you just the most fabulous excuse. Yeah, exactly. Show. Research. <laughs> you can also just say research. that. Giant dildos. Yeah, I was researching <laughs> plastic usage. So... All right, we're going to 2008 now. As we go through, I must say, so far, it's all going swimmingly for you, Sanem. Um, mainly because you've got that excuse. Uh, Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. That looks interesting. Oh, Flow? Yeah. But... Yeah, I think about that book quite a lot, actually. What's that about, please? It's about how do you achieve happiness. Oh, God. Please, God. How do, well, how do I do that? Well, Flow itself is about how you're at your happiest in your work and life when you're lost. You're lost. It's like when you were setting up the the... Tech for this podcast, you were lost. You were so happy. Oh it was God, your safe so place. You yeah. were doing something and you didn't realise you were doing it. Yeah. You were in a state of flow. Yeah. And that's what you want to achieve in life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but it's sort of like, it comes back to the stuff in, um, have you heard The Chimp Paradox by Steve Rogers or Steve Peters? No. It's about the monkey brain panicking and taking you out of the out of the moment and the sort of churning away of that stuff. And when you when you silence that brain, you you are in that place. The computer in your brain, yeah, which is maybe equatable with the flow, just has you doing stuff almost automatically. I I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because I hate golf and I know you're into it. Yes, but they often say it's, it's the same for golf, isn't it? Yes. If you analyze what you're doing, you stop. You fuck up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have gone for people, someone on a tripwire. I always mm. think of the person on a tripwire. If you start to think not a tripwire, a, you know, a walking the the tightrope. Mm. As soon as you start to think what am I doing, or driving, in fact. If you're driving the car and you start to think, how am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah. So we need more flow. Flow is what you want in your working life. Do you think self-help books work, then? Do they actually... I don't read many of them. No. But I probably, again, that was probably a column. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I think Oliver Berkman, who's a columnist from The Guardian, had mentioned that book Mm -hmm. in his column about... He did a column about self-help books. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I genuinely trust what he says. Yeah. I was at college with him and, yeah, he was right. It's a very interesting book. As a journalist, do you, do you or you've given up your column, do you uh, read a lot of other journalists? Is that something that takes up a lot of your time? Yeah, although I'm now at the stage where politics stresses me out 
And I try to read journalism very quickly. Mm. So I will get the Times app open on the tube. So mm. from my from this stop, yep. center of town, I can read the whole Times. Nice. But if I find, if I get the physical paper, it takes up an hour of my day and mm. I'll get furious. <laughs> at, at well, one with, or two with, stories. With events, with things that are happening. Yeah, or something my colleagues have written. And I just get, it wrecks my day. Okay, so take me into that, please. Your colleagues have <laughs> written something which you vehemently disagree with and you see them. Have you had... No, but, have you, but then I'll, sometimes I'll have to message them. Excellent. And then you're, why am I doing that? And then you're going... To, I mean, I, I do fundamentally believe in changing things from the inside. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of trolling on the internet for it being even part of the the Murdoch machine. Of course. But I think I've made a difference, but no one will know. Mm. But it also comes at a cost, that stuff. Career costs. No, I mean, your happiness. Emotional cost. And emotional. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, it's right, stressful right. having arguments with people. But it's really, it must be really interesting for you to uh, be in that building with those journalists who have different opinions. But you just have to rise above it, right? Or you, you know, you will have yeah, also, to... Also, they, occasionally they change your mind. And I think... Mm. The amazing thing, I, I love writing for The Times, is because I know I am changing people's minds. Mm. I know I'm triggering a lot of them. Mm. Someone will send me racist abuse. <laughs> but I also know... I'm changing their minds because they write to me saying so. You know, yeah. that's the amazing thing when someone age 70 writes to you and says, I used to think this about the British Empire, mm. but I read you and actually I've, you've changed my mind. Yes, yeah, so this is your book, Empire Land. Yeah. So, I mean, I've written about empire for the newspaper as well, and it does happen. Mm. And I, th I think that means much more to me than preaching to the converted. You have to cling on to those bits. Yeah, you have to you you have to forget the the aggravation and the yeah. And the great thing about newspapers now is that it's one of the few areas of life where is where people with different politics are forced to tolerate each other. Mm. Where else does that happen now? No, I everywhere mean, else they're yes. killing each other. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. And I find myself doing it. You know, coming back to golf. You know, I'm playing golf with guys who I know. Like one guy I played in Kent the other day, massive Brexiteer. Started talking about immigrants coming down this bit of the channel and stuff like that. And I'm like, I fucking hate you, but I can't do that. I can't hate you. That is stupid. Mm. That's ridiculous. So you have to talk to them and ask questions and ask, well, how many are there? Really, are there that many? You know what I mean? You yeah. have to sort of interrogate it a bit. But the act of doing that requires investment and time and concentration. And also it just doesn't always work. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's really hard. And it comes at emotional costs. I mean, I, had a, yeah. I wrote a tweet about Brexit yesterday. It kind of went weirdly viral. Yeah. And... Uh, a couple of crazy kid things happened. The Express wrote a news story about it, calling me a bitter Romania. And uh, but within it all, I had a really quite amazing conversation with a Brexiteer colleague of mine. Ah, and a really nice, warm conversation where both of us admitted we need to listen a bit more. Yes, and even though it came at a cost, the whole tweet. But overall, it ended up with something positive. Yeah, that's the thing. Those are the bits you've got to cling on to and forget about all the fury and the Yeah, I don't think that happens very often. No, yeah. it doesn't happen at all. I mean, yeah, it's 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 so hard, isn't it? The bitter Remainer thing. And you're like, I mean, yeah, I, I am. So <laughs> I'll, I'll take ownership of that. You did express finally a right, so well done there. Yeah. But you, yeah, you have to just sort of switch off the personal. That's the problem. And at least with, you know, back in the day, if you're doing a newspaper or whatever, you come home and you close your door and you, you, you're away from it. Whereas here, it's it's... Here on our laptops and your yeah. constantly... What's in your pocket? Why would you invent something where <sighs> you can find out what the people who hate you most in the <sighs> world think of you? In your pocket. 
Why would you invent that thing? You're leaving a bug in your enemy's den. You're you're putting shit in your own pocket. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. I've enjoyed this Twitter therapy. All <laughs> social media therapy. <laughs> shit in your own pocket at Twitter. See you there. mama made the toaster. Shops just like a roller coaster. Oh, don't it feel so fine when you're buying all of these strange things online, like books, weight sets, and posters? Come on, here, the best of the best of my mate bought a toaster. Okay, guys, hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Satnam's good, isn't he? Top, top guy. And uh, there's about another eight minutes to go. And this is the point at the podcast when my mic failed. Not, not, not Satnam's, just mine. It's almost like technology is trying to edit me out. Uh, so I'm afraid the sound recording goes a bit shonky here. I'm going to have a little fiddle and turn up my voice from the other side of the room on Satnam's mic. It might sound awful, but Satnam stuff is really good, so keep listening. Sorry, everyone. It's amateur. If you only sponsor me on Patreon, I could pay for better kit. This is good. Look, the York 20 kilograms cast iron kit in a case. This is a... <laughs> well, as you can see, see, yeah, it's worked wonders, man. My brother is a bodybuilder. What? He's like, he's probably, he does probably ten hours a week at the gym. Is he like walnuts and guy? Yeah, he's like six foot two and huge. What? And he's always saying to me, "You should lift." <laughs> so that <laughs> was probably. This, you should lift. Yeah, he's always saying that to me, and that was probably one of the times at which I tried to lift, yeah. and was unable to lift. The, the package from the front door to my bedroom. I bought some kettlebells <laughs> recently and they arrived. I'm like, Thanks, mate. On the doorstep. Cheers. And I went to bed down. I was like, Jesus. Um, so you're, a good you're doorstop. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're still there. They're still there. <laughs> no one's going to nick them. When did your brother get into bodybuilding? And that seems quite odd to have a, you know, one of these an economist and an author and a journalist and a writer and the other's a. And, a, and has the arms of a teenage girl. <laughs> um, yeah, we're very, diff- very different. Um, yeah, but also uh, bodybuilding is a huge thing in the British Asian community. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, one of the reasons is that... Is it a macho thing? What's the... It's partly if you don't drink that much, I guess, in Muslim communities, it's something to do. I mean, bodybuilding, I think, is huge in Iran. I think I read something saying that recently. Um, but it's also, it's quite... Uh, if you watch Bollywood films, all the guys are built. Mm. That's the look. That is the thing. So that's the thing to aspire to. Yeah. To properly, but properly big. Probably big. It's the muscles on the side of the arm, those ones. <laughs> That's the, I think it's the tricep. When you spot those, it's like this guy. It's also the uh, constant toplessness. Mm. <laughs> my, my brother's always taking his, his top off. You know, I, I would never do that. I, 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 <laughs> For obvious reasons. But I cannot get on board with the, the top off <laughs> situation. For me to take my top off, it, I have to be... Uh, even by myself, I'm embarrassed taking my dog. Even getting into the shower. Yeah. Like my nieces have said they need therapy for all. <laughs> We've seen dad's pecs. <laughs> um, what else have we got here? Arnold Bennett, an old wives' tale. Oh, my novel. I wrote a novel which was based on Arnold Bennett's novel. Oh, right. What novel did you write? It was called Marriage Material. And his book is called The Old Wives' Tale, published in 1918. I see. Amazing book about two girls growing up in a shop. Right. And I transferred it into... Two girls growing up in an Asian news agent in the 1960s. Excellent. So this mm. came after the Bollywood stuff. Yeah. And do you, because obviously you do memoirs and you do 
books like Empire Land as well, which are very obviously factual history. Are you going? Do you dip back into novels? Is there a plan to do that? Or? Maybe every book I've done has been a different genre. Which is so a way sports biography next. Yeah, poetry. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking. I, it's a way of making your life really difficult because not only is it writing a book, it's a complete a genre you don't understand. Mm. But I like that feeling of feeling like you can't do it and then doing it. So have you always been very high achiever, this sense of taking on big mountains? I like that feeling, yeah. Although I'm finally, my next book is a sequel to Empire Land. So for the first time, I know the genre. And it's made the whole thing so much easier. I don't know why I didn't do it soon, <laughs> frankly. Because you're getting older. Yeah. You're less ambitious to take on these Everests and you're yeah. to the Brecon Beacons. So. Yeah. Although, yeah, I would like to write. Actually, I had this amazing thing happen to me. We didn't go anywhere. Someone asked, asked me to write song lyrics for a musical. Oh, wow. It didn't go anywhere in the end, but I had the experience of being paid to write song lyrics. How was that? I mean... It was much harder than you'd think. Like making it rhyme, <laughs> and the and the beats per minute and all the schemes, all that stuff. But I loved going into a brand new genre. It was amazing. That's interesting. The sort of the refresh thing that's going on with you is that is that something that uh, like when could you remember the moment when you were a kid or when you first became you know you realised you were academically gifted and you were clever? Was there a moment where you remember taking on that challenge and it was just like an escape? What was the thing that drew you? Into yeah, always, world? always. I mean, I came from a house where. There were no books. My dad is illiterate, can't read and write. Mm. So everything I did was beyond what was expected of me. Mm. So, yeah, it's probably just trying to recreate that feeling, yeah, yeah, my yeah. therapist would say. Okay, good. <laughs> well, I'm sitting on I'll give you 20 quid at the I end of this. I'm more than happy to do that. Uh, listen, 30th of August 2011, not the first time we've seen this on the show. Uh, Danny Wallace, I believe, also bought the uh, NT911. It's the Phillips NT. Uh, NT stands for nose trimmer, so nose hair trimmer. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah great, I think I've still got it. It's a great nose hair trimmer. Uh, <laughs> three years ago since Danny talked about it on the show. Um, I'm always like upset by the smell. You get that metallic smell when you're in there um, really, really dealing with the nose hairs. But it's. I've started uh, waxing my oh. nose. It hurts, but it gets rid of everything in one go. So, making you witty, making <laughs> so you're putting wax, you're blocking your nose with wax. Melted wax. Melted wax. Hot. At the bottom. Hot. Yeah, on the you one at a time. Yeah. And you put a strip in and then you yank it out. Oh. It makes you cry. But God, you are cleaning as a whistle for about three weeks. So because I don't know have <laughs> so many nose heads that when I breathe through my nose you can you can sort of hear yeah. the, the It's our age, man. It's the breeze through the woods noise. And it is, it is our age. Yeah. Also, I have so much hair. I have even more hair than you. Are you are Asian you, men are quite hairy. Did you have, okay, this is a personal question. This is weird. This is a personal <laughs> question to us in your house. It's getting darker. Do you have a hairy back? Actually, I don't. How have you swerved? I know, I don't know how to swerve. Nor does my brother, which I know because he takes his top off all the time. We <laughs> do not that? have hairy backs in our family, no. It's, that's, you're very lucky to avoid that because yeah. I'm going to get it. Um, I'm going to get the... A laser. I'm going to get it lasered. Oh, really? I'm 42. I don't know why I should have any vanity anymore at all. Have you ever been lasered? It hurts. So have you, what, what have you had lasered? Uh, the hair between my eyebrows. Oh, so no longer the monobrow? Yeah. When did you have that done? Uh, when I started doing TV and I started noticing it. HD. That's <laughs> not good. <laughs> Mate, don't do 4K. You'll be... Yeah. Oh, the things you'll spot with 4K. It's uh, unforgiving. Podcasts, fine, but 
said, thank you, we can be, you should see the state of my nose hair now, guys. Ear hair everywhere, it doesn't matter. Um, so you had it, you had the bit in the middle. Yeah, um, although Asian, this is way, you don't, probably don't know this, Asian black hair on Asian skin is not the best combination. To, for lasering to work, you need light skin with dark hair. Of course, it's for the white man. Of course. It's basically um, racist. But it's ra- <laughs> lasers are racist. There you go. Given a chance, I'd like to laser everything mm. on my face and body. <laughs> but um, the person said that wasn't possible. <laughs> um, Sam, thank you so much for letting me into your house. I'm okay to stay the night. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Spare cool. room. Um, thanks so much. And uh, we can follow you on Twitter while you're still on Twitter before you take a twabatical. What's your, what's, your, what's your... I'm at Satnam, S-A-T-H-N-A-M. Uh, thank you very much for being on my Mate Boy Toaster. Thanks for having me. So let that be a lesson to you, kids, and you, Tom Price, you massive idiots, to always ch-ch-ch-check the mic uh, before you start recording. Although, in my defence, I think it was just the wire fell apart. Anyway, let's not let that upstage a lovely podcast. Thank you to the wonderful Satnam Sangera, a fabulous episode. Very, very funny, very interesting man. Worth checking him out on social media. Empire Land, uh, his book is absolutely fabulous and really uh, powerful stuff. Very, very clever guy. Um, next week, Dan Schreiber, off of No Such Thing as a Fish, is going to be joining me on My Mate Bought a Toaster. I might stick that up on patreon.com slash toasterpod. Uh, if you fancy listening now, early, ad-free, you know what to do. Uh, all the best, camera guards. Thanks for coming. See you next week. My Mate Bought a Toaster. Toaster.